Now on The Regeneration Show. We're doing inner child work with therapist Kim Eagle. And it sounds so basic. I feel like here, who doesn't know? Ever, we all know this, but it's unbelievable how many people don't do it. Your itinerary is being regenerated. Please turn right, turn left, turn right. Regenerating. Please take a 180 degree turn. Please take another 180 degree turn. Going forward, wake up 15 minutes sooner. Keep up with world events. Determine your retirement spending needs. You are going in the wrong direction. Try Paleo. Regenerating. Conserve your water. Lower your resting heart Please rate. Please turn around. You have left your oven on. You have reached your destination. The Regeneration Show with Andrew St. Germain and Stephanie Katona. Hello and welcome to The Regeneration Show. I'm Stephanie Katona in Los Angeles, California. I'm Andrew St. Germain in Toronto, Ontario. And this is our first official recording day together. Officially, yes. But wouldn't you say we've been hosting a talk show in our heads since the first day we met, Stephanie? We definitely have. Um, I remember, I still remember when I started training you initially and I was, I actually had an intuitive gut feeling that we would end up being super close and look where we are now hosting this show together. That's what you thought. Well, your energy has definitely shifted a lot since we started training. And I mean, when you start weight training and you improve your posture, like that comes with confidence that comes with just feeling overall better. So I'm going to say since the last couple of years that I've known you, your energy is just more confident, more sure of yourself. And it it was, it's really nice to see. And that's what I love about training is that whole taking people through this journey and witnessing that progress. And I know it's probably easier for me to notice it than you, but yeah, it is something that other people comment on more than you notice in your reflection in the mirror. But that initial meeting, you're going, okay, so how frequently do you exercise currently? And I'm like, (laughs) Kate, not at all. And how often do you cook? And it's like, never. So I just, I felt you were looking at me like, oh, I have my work cut out for me. But you know what though? I I have such a variety of clients. Like I've had many clients where I'm starting from scratch and I actually love taking people from scratch because it's actually more rewarding for me. And just also you got to think like you started, yeah, you started, you never touched a weight a day in your life. (laughs) And now you're like squatting your body weight and bench pressing you're almost your body weight. It's amazing. I'm like a man um, carrying around a breadcrumb. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, so when we met, I mean, I knew that we were going to connect for sure. And then the conversation, then we just started talking about, we just kind of dove right into it, into conversations about our childhood, about relationships. And that's the thing with me. If there's one thing about me is I don't do small talk. So even with clients, I just go right into it. And that's, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. No, but that is a good thing. And we've been basically, like I said, hosting a talk show in our heads via the water cooler, via the squat rack, via the people around us. We've been talking about all the things that we're going to talk about on this show. We've already touched on in our real life, but now we're going to get some second opinions and open the conversation up a bit, especially now that you've gone ahead and fled the country. So why don't we talk about that? And how is that going, by the way? Oh, man, it has been quite an adventure. Like I have to say, I did not expect myself to become kind of this nomad little globetrotter. I mean, I did expect it. I knew it would happen eventually, but the time it's just kind of surreal that this is all happening, that I basically packed up my life and decided to just flee the country. My life in Toronto had been really great. I built an incredible business, made a lot of great friends, had an incredible network of people. 
But in the last couple of years, as I've been diving into myself a bit more and trying to really discover my purpose and my place in this life, it was kind of evident that my energy was becoming a little stale in Toronto. And I was really craving this expansion and um, just expanding my horizons, getting a new perspective on things. So you land in LAX, right? Yeah. Like Miley with a dream and a cardigan, probably. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. But what's the first thing you do? So you land and what's the first thing you do? Where's the first place you go? So the first place I went to was Santa Monica, actually, which is 20 minutes away from West Hollywood, which is where I'm staying. And I was just kind of exploring. They have a beautiful pier there and the beach and little shops and all that. So it was cute. I just kind of wanted to be in a place that was more, I wanted to land and go into like a chill kind of vibe. So that was the first thing I did and met people already in the first week and a half here, which is kind of crazy. Literally people stop me on the streets. I'm going out for dinner with my Uber driver all of a sudden. I don't know if it's LA has allowed me to kind of come more into my own because I'm super friendly and outgoing and I'll literally talk to anyone, but I didn't do that as much in Toronto. So something's up. Okay. But first I want to talk, do you have the same (laughs) Uber driver all the time? Do you just call like different ones every time? And do you go for dinner with all of them? No, but I'm going to put, so I'm going to go for dinner with one and then I'm playing volleyball with the other one. (laughs) What is it? Because you did text me and you say that the best part about moving is that no one really knows who you are. So you can really be yourself completely. Yes. So expand on that. Yeah, this I'm so into this right now, because so when you go to a new city and you travel, I find that it allows you to kind of be uninhibited in many ways. It allows you to really be yourself because no one knows you and Back in Toronto, I found that there was this kind of thing I would do where I would open up, close, open up, close, and I was kind of guarded or a bit more reserved. But every time, even when I traveled to Italy and Spain on my own, I found that I would just show up as my most authentic self. And that's how I feel over here. Like, I don't feel like I'm trying to be anything. I'm not trying to change. It's just, I'm just also, to be honest, it's all the work I've done in the last two years where I've actually come to a place of being more anchored in my authentic self. So LA has just brought that out for me. And I think you need a fresh environment to just say, okay, no one knows me as old Stephanie. They're only knowing who I presented them now. Mm -hmm. So there were still people in Toronto who would have known you before you anchored yourself. Wouldn't you say? A hundred percent. And, and that's why this change, I think was, it's just, it was just so necessary. And I was getting all the right signs from all the angel numbers that was seeing the angel feathers. Like it was just every, the universe was like, you go, you go and you just be and allow things to unfold. And here I am free spirited me in Los Angeles gallivanting around gallivanting. I saw you went for a hike today. Yep. Just, I went because I was trying to get all in my zone before shooting this episode. So just needed some quiet time. Uh, well now that you're in your zone and we're going to kick off our first show all around returning to our inner child. Why do you think returning to our inner child is the right place to kick off our new show? So I think it's a great place to start and kick off the show because the overarching theme of our show is all about unlearning beliefs, feelings, biases, social and cultural conditioning that's 
basically been ingrained in us since we entered this world. And I mean, what better place to start than go back to our childhood selves to uncover the things that we've picked up along the way and begin this process of shedding what's not ours. And I also think that it is our most authentic self because we're not influenced by politics. We're not influenced by money. We're not influenced by the things that adults are influenced by. So if -hmm. you're cooking or if you're putting on a fashion show or if you're singing and dancing or if you're playing with cars or digging holes or whatever you're doing, you're doing it just for the joy of it. And so I think if you want to find out what brings you pure joy, think back to what you were doing as a kid. I totally, totally agree. So what was it for you? So it's funny because uh, you know how I said that I almost forget parts of my childhood. I think we do mostly forget parts of our childhood. So I actually had to go back and think a lot. And I even asked my dad, what was I like as a kid, dad? So I do remember I did have this free spirited streak to me. Always. I was very confident, very expressive. Like my dad would videotape us a lot when we were kids. Oh, you're so lucky. I was always in front of the camera and dancing and singing. And I, I just, I liked, I didn't mind being in this, the center of attention. And I also was very, I remember being very nurturing and protective of my siblings. I was even comfortable around adults is what my dad was saying and made friends easily. Apparently I had this little Bob cut, which is interesting. Cause I'm back to this same sassy Bob cut style that I had <laughs> when I was four or five years old. And when I cut it, I remember I cried because I was so attached to my long hair. And like you cried recently when you cut it? Yeah. I cried a couple months ago when I cut it. Cause I haven't had my hair this short since I was a kid. So you were like, what have I done? I made a huge mistake. Yeah. And because again, social conditioning, long hair is alluring. It's feminine. That's how, you know, we should have our hair. Well, that's what I was believing anyway. It's, It's not actually true, but that's what I adopted. And then when I cut my hair, I actually felt instantly back to my childhood self. Like even the way I started to walk around with this new cut, it's like, I felt back to that little girl. And it was so, it's so, I found it so interesting. And now I don't think I can go back to the long hair. So what was your style like as a kid? I feel like it's maybe too much of a generalization because you work in fitness to assume that you might've been a tomboy. So I'm going, yeah. So were you like total floral, total pink? I was headbands, bows and scrunchies. Yes. My mom would put these massive bows on my head. I had pink, purple dresses, little gold earrings. Like I was the girliest girl. I loved bar. I had played with Barbies. I played the little mermaid. I was obsessed with Ariel. I, that's, what's so interesting is I asked my mom and she said, you never went through a tomboy phase, which is interesting. That is interesting. I had a feeling that you were kind of the floral and pink girl. I've never, I've never seen a picture of you as a kid, but I could just sort of sense that. Well, I'll show you because I have a bunch. (laughs) So do I. And all of my pictures, I have a stupid oversized hat on my head. My mom was dressing me like I was going to baby beauty pageants all the time. So I think we would have matched, honestly. Oh my God. So cute. So tell me, okay, so enough about me. Let's talk. What were you like as a kid? Oh, totally confident. Always with the adults. I never wanted to be with the kids. I always wanted to hang out with adults. I wanted to have mature conversation. I always had mature interests. I loved newspapers. Like I was so low maintenance. My toys were newspapers. And if you handed me a newspaper, I was happy all day because it just made me feel mature. And I would pretend to understand what I was reading. Of course, I couldn't. I love talk shows. I love the prices, right? And watching the news, like these were my interests. 
But oh at the same God. time, I was also very outdoorsy. I grew up in Northern Ontario, so spent a lot of time outside. I think that might have also been the era. You might have the same story where when we were growing up, our parents would just open up the door and say, go play outside. Yeah. Um, and then you would not return till like 8 p.m. I yeah, so when, strange. When the streetlights come on, come back for dinner. Like that was the instruction. Go yeah, yeah. like, don't even think about coming back home. Stay yeah, outside. We want you out. <laughs> and I really thrived in that environment. I loved bicycles and tricycles and scooters and skateboards. And I, anything with wheels, I was all over. I probably looked really funny with my oversized hat and like baby beauty pageant clothing on my so skateboard cute. and scooter. In my heart, I was hell on wheels, but outwardly, I looked like little Lord Fauntleroy. Drinking coffee and reading newspapers. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. But I also had a big imagination. So when I was outdoors, there was, we call it in the north, a bush. Do you know what the bush is? No. <laughs> uh, it's just forest land, a bunch of trees. So I would okay. go play in the bush and I would use my imagination. I would play school. I would play house. I would play restaurant. Like, did you ever play those imaginary? Oh, yeah. Like games? the fort, you would have a fort. I would have all these random forts in the forest that we would go to. And we would like, they were like our homes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But we I never, that. I never had an actual tree fort though. I was always jealous when I would see and I know wooden, the wooden about. tree fort up in the tree. I always wanted the proper climb a ladder and get. I in mean, my tree who fort. wouldn't want that, right? I do remember. Yeah, but I would want that now. Room. Still, still to this day, I would hang out in my tree fort if I could. Same. So that's definitely the kind of kid that I was. I was always a little bit of a loner. I didn't realize how much of a loner I was until middle school. Because in primary school, you're very much protected. You eat lunch at your desk at recess. You're just sort of running around aimlessly. But when you get to middle school, everyone kind of breaks off into little cliques. And yep. I didn't belong to a clique. Did you? That's what I want to talk about. This is actually this, exactly what, what I wanted to get into next was how we changed going on to high school. High school was a big ship because that's when people started getting into social circles. Well, middle school for me was absolute hell. I hated middle school, like where elementary school felt very safe. Middle school felt very unsafe. It's just a torturous social experiment where you take kids for two years in their most awkward pubescent years and say, try to adjust, try to get along, try to be nice, because of course they don't. I think your school was different because mine was we were elementary school up until grade eight and then high school happened uh, abruptly. And then I think it was such a shock because we were all, I had a, I came from a very small French immersion school where literally I was with the same 30 kids from same. grade one to grade eight. We same. were like a family. And, you know, even within the little family, there were still little groups, but it wasn't so drastic as when high school happened, everyone just split off. And that is where I think that things went downhill. Absolutely. It did. And because I know one thing to be true is I'm not someone who likes to confine myself into one specific group. Like I remember feeling pressured where all the French kids would hang out together and then there'd be, there'd be like the preps. And then there would be like, there are all these different groups. And I didn't feel like I belonged to any of them because I love to just hang out with all different types of people, including mm -hmm. adults. So I never felt like I belonged in a group, even to this day. Did you ever change yourself to become part of a clique? Um, there was a time where I was part of, um, in high school, there was a group of friends that were on, there was a kind of, 
religious group kind of, and we would go to these Christian camps and stuff like that. And then I kind of got immersed in that for a bit, but then what happened was, see, this is what happened. I, my, was discovering my sexuality at the time. Mm. Okay. And that was a big no, no, it didn't really go with the Christian religion and that group that I was part of. And that actually was interesting because I came out in high school. I came out at 15 in oh, that's the so young. high school to come out small town. That was defining for me. Oh, absolutely. So after that, did things change or did you stay pretty much awkward until the end of high school? I'm going to say the thing I noticed the most from my 10 year old self transitioning into high school in my teen years, I went from being expressive, not shy, all of that to actually closing up quite a bit and becoming repressed emotionally in many ways and kind of fragmented. And I I think a lot of it had to do with my parents' divorce, probably when I was really young and that environment and just not feeling safe to express my emotional needs or just anything I was feeling. And so I basically internalized that through all of high school and I became quite silent. Like I almost felt frozen and very much disconnected throughout high school. And then there was a bit of depression there too, because I was, I am, I consider myself to be quite an expressive emotional person. So I dissociated in a way. So that's what happened for me. No, that's that's what what happened to me too. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm still INFJ. I'm totally an introvert. You're the opposite. You're very extroverted, but I'm not shy. And that was very evident as a kid. I was always performing. I love Shania Twain. I still do. And so I was always putting on shows where I was singing her songs. And I had a karaoke machine <laughs> and I was just very out there, unapologetically me. And then when I went to middle school and the things that made me unique and the things that I was so unabashed about just the year before in grade six were now weaponized against me. And so I just fell completely silent and I stayed silent until the end of high school. It sounds unimaginable that I pursued a career in radio and podcasting. If anyone from high school or middle school even remembers me, I probably didn't make much of an impression. But if I did make an impression, it was as the quiet kid. And if they heard that I had a podcast, they would be like, is it a mime show? <laughs> like, What kind of show is he doing? It's like, I've never heard his voice before. So well, see, you're in your childhood self. Like you're basically going back to that where you've uncovered a lot, right? Yeah. Which is what I want to get into next, actually. Let's get into it. So what were the beliefs and messages that you adopted throughout your life that you felt weren't actually in line with who you are and no longer serve you now? What are the messages that you remember that you kind of picked up that you're kind of like, uh, I don't really think that's me. Well, my goal, and I kind of borrowed this line from Princess Diaries, but my goal in life was to be invisible. That is so not me, but it was at the time. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to wear Aeropostal, Aeropostal. Mm-hmm. I wanted to wear Hollister. I wanted to wear what everyone else was wearing claim to like the same music as everyone else when I was still listening to Shania Twain I just rejected everything that made me an individual for the purpose of conforming and being invisible because that was easier than having to defend myself all the time oh well and and unfortunately being the quiet kid also makes you an easy target because they think rightfully so the quiet kid's not going to defend himself they're not going to fight back so 
those years were were really tough. But by the time I made it to high school, I got very comfortable as an introvert. I was confident to sit by myself. I was actually annoyed anytime someone would sit next to me and be like, hey, is this seat taken? I'd be like, it wasn't, (laughs) but you don't have to feel sorry for me. I was by myself. And I think I've just had to open myself back up to being more of what you're like with your Uber drivers and expressive, more expressive (laughs) talking to everyone you meet. Yeah. How about you? So for me, it was mostly. So, like I said, I still march to the beat of my own drum in the sense that I think when I think back to my, my life path and the things that I've done, like coming out when I was 15 and then starting my business at 24, that was later in life, but just these kind of things that I've done uh, that in that sense, I was very much in touch with my myself, like again, being unapologetically myself, but there, the things that I did pick up that were unhealthy and messages that had been ingrained in me was a lot to do with emotional expression and what it means to be vulnerable, what it means to communicate in a healthy way and what conflict looks like, because I have two, I have two very I have two sides to my personality. There's this very strong, resilient nature. And then I also very sensitive and empathetic. And I felt I'd never felt safe to express my vulnerable and more sensitive side. And I think that's just growing up in my, in my, my household where emotional expression and communication was not really encouraged. And so I just kind of shut those aspects of myself down. And I was, and I had always just been like, I'm fine. I don't need help. I don't need to I don't need to rely on anyone or ask for help. And so that was unhealthy though, because I didn't feel like I could ever cultivate a deep relationship with people or even with yourself. It sounds like even with myself, this has been the journey that I've been on in the last four years of uncovering and unpacking all of that and being okay with knowing that again, we're multifaceted beings. There's, we have, and this isn't a thing that I've had to learn. We're multifaceted beings and there's many dimensions to our personality. You can be soft and sensitive, but strong. You can be empathetic, but still have boundaries. And so just really working my way through all of this has been, it's been a process. It's been a very long and intense process, but I feel like I'm getting closer to my true self. I can relate to the double life thing because I remember specifically having this thought where we were expecting family friends and they always got a kick out of me because I was always so much the entertainer, a bit of a show pony. Whenever company came over, I just wanted to be one of the grownups at the table. And I had this thought going, if they saw me at school today, they wouldn't even recognize me because I'm so mousy. They would think I'm so pathetic, but I don't know how to break this cycle of silence. And so I just stayed that way. So when I went to school, I was one person and then I went home and I was the storyteller and I was joking around and I was free to be myself. And then the school bus was this time machine that brought me to a parallel universe where I don't like to talk, which is so far from the truth. Right. And that's the thing we develop sometimes this double life or we, we, again, fragment these uh, disconnect. And then we're, we're one way with, you know, our family members or our friends, and then we're in a different, completely different way with new people and at work. Right. And so I think that's where the work needs to be done. And that's like our inner child is again, it, that's where that inner child work needs to be done is going back to that and integrating 
all of these different aspects of ourselves so that we're whole again, and it takes work. So next we're going to chat with a licensed therapist to answer the provocative question of how can we heal our inner child and integrate it as adults so that we can live more authentically and foster better relationships with others. And if reaching out to your inner child triggers trauma or grief or regret, what to do about that. And since we can't go back in time and relive our childhood, what can we as adults learn from following children's examples today? That is the conversation that we're having next on The Regeneration Show. You're listening to The Regeneration Show with Andrew St. Germain and Stephanie Katona. Pass it on, theregenerationshow.com. Now we are joined by Kim Eagle, a licensed therapist who's been empowering and provoking change in her clients' minds, bodies, and spirits for almost 20 years. She now joins us from North County, San Diego. Kim, welcome to The Regeneration Show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate being here. We appreciate having you. So we talked a lot about our childhood in the opening. Are you at all comfortable sharing what kind of kid you were? Absolutely. (laughs) Probably, I would say what first comes to my mind is just super active, hyper, (laughs) curious, just that curiosity, that natural curiosity that children tend to have and starts fading out when we become adults and get super serious. So jaded and right. We get fixated on other things. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But have you always lived in California or where'd you grow up? I have. I've always lived in California. I'm from um, the South Bay area of Los Angeles, uh, specifically Palos Verdes. And um, yeah, so always lived in Southern California, went to school for a bit in Santa Barbara for a couple of years, and then I transferred down to San Diego. So I finished off my undergrad at UCSD in San Diego. Very cool. Awesome. California, LA in California is so big. There's so many different pockets. It's nuts. There's so many different pockets. It's funny because the town I'm from is in my mind, it's so not LA because, you know, it's not LA proper. It's so it's super different. It's more of a beach town. Okay. Um, Horseback riding, surfing, Mm -hmm. all that. And then you get into like LA proper, which, you know, 45 minutes, an hour away is downtown LA and it's a whole different vibe. The cool part about California is you could be literally on top of a mountain at, Mm. you know, 9am and back at the beach by 5pm. So how quick you can get to such different environments, even when you talk about West Hollywood and Palos Verdes where I'm from, it's just, it's night and day. There's so many different pockets that Mm -hmm. I think everyone can kind of find a little bit of what they're looking for. Isn't there skiing too? Oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You can go to Bear Mountain. You can go to Lake Arrowhead. Yeah. You can go snowboarding. Snowboarding. 100 percent skiing and then you can be you know at the ocean by late afternoon so it's super cool I'm actually so that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out like which areas I like I like West Hollywood but actually this weekend I'm going to go visit Encinitas a little town yeah so that's North County San Diego okay so that's because I'm going to go this weekend to check it out it's more of a chill vibe I heard yeah yeah you are going to be right a couple miles up from me right now sweet Yeah, yeah I'm excited for that it'll be good Yeah, absolutely. So me and Andrew, we talked a lot about um, how we were both outgoing and carefree kids whose confidence were 
severely tested in our teens Mm -hmm. in terms of emotional expression. And we both felt that we were split off and disconnected and fragmented from ourselves throughout our teens. We just kind of Mm -hmm. lost that part of ourselves adopting different beliefs and all the social conditioning that came with it. So my question is, how can we heal our inner child and integrate it as adults so that we can ultimately live more authentically and foster better relationships with others? So that's a big question. And it starts with the awareness that there's something that needs to be healed. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that the term inner child, that's a big term and there's a lot that umbrellas underneath it, but what I hear even you acknowledging with that is just noticing that there's something that's a blockage or there's something that's been stripped away that doesn't Mm -hmm. feel authentic to not be there anymore. So Mm -hmm. when you talk about things that got stripped within teenage years, it's the awareness that that is gone and that you want to have it back. Mm -hmm. I think that would be the first step. I went through this whole I call it the dark night of the soul where I was kind of really working on this whole healing journey. And I remember I was spending like three to four months just doing inner child work, Mm -hmm. listening to loving kindness meditations, and then it becomes a lot and then you need to integrate it. So it is so unique and individual for everyone. Right. But like you said, awareness is definitely the first step. And then I guess acceptance would be the next step. Right. Once you get to that point and you find acceptance, a lot of times that's when the healing can begin prior to accepting something, we, we, we tend to be really stuck. Mm-hmm. And so part of the journey is looking at all the parts. And for some people, those parts are things we don't want to look at. And I think that that's what causes a lot of people to turn to behaviors that aren't so healthy because it's avoidance or it's distraction. So a lot of it is peeling away all of the stuff that we've kind of piled on to avoid the parts of ourselves that we don't want to look at, or that we want to forget, or that we just kind of want to black out and also commitment that you're ready to look at it and that you want to look at it because you want to change things and you want to take the weight off and start living in a, in a way that is going to be without all the, all the, all the ick. Yeah. I know. I agree. And that's, I think that's the hardest part. I mean, for any human, I think sitting in your own presence and really bringing up all those emotions and looking at things that we don't want to look at is really, really difficult. takes Mm -hmm. time and is so individual for everyone. It is. And I think generally speaking, we could even say fear, right? Because a lot of the times what we fear just as humans, we don't want to face and so the more we don't face it, the big scary monster gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the, the thorns get longer and they can stick us more. But it's, the, it's almost a practice of starting to face and turn towards things that scare you or frighten you. And I think the more you can sit with that, just generally speaking, the more you build the tolerance and the more you kind of realize that, oh, it's not as scary as you thought it would be. For the most part, nothing is as scary as you think it's going to be. Totally that whole thing with fear is just working through it and bringing it up to the surface and being friends with fear almost, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Making Developing a friendship with fear where you kind of like do this tang. I say, I like to do the tango with fear, you know, just kind of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Friends with fear. (laughs) Tango with fear. Yeah. Uh, Stephanie and I talked a lot about high school at the top of the Mm -hmm. show. And I don't Mm -hmm. want it to sound like we're stuck in high school because that's not so cute. But the point is that certain environments are bad for us and bad Mm -hmm. for our self-worth and our potential and our personal growth. Mm -hmm. And I hear it all the time 
when I say that I work in media, people will say, oh, I always wanted to be a journalist. I always wanted to do that. But a teacher told me I couldn't do it. Or my stepmom said I could never do it. Right. Um, and for me and Stephanie, it was very obvious that our childhood and adolescent personalities were like night and day. So it was clear that we needed to address that. But I don't know if everyone takes the time to ask that question of, is the person I've grown up to be a product of a healthy or an unhealthy environment and influence? Mm -hmm. I don't know who is going to go through childhood and make it to a certain age without being in environments that were potentially unhealthy or not so good. I think part of the journey of growing up, sometimes those, those environments that are not so good create really, really strong character. If you could get, if you, it depends on what you do with the environment, right? So if you're in a bad environment and you give into it and you go down the rabbit hole of the negativity, that absolutely is going to affect your future and your reality. And sometimes what I've seen is some of the people with the most character that I've witnessed in my life have come from really challenging environments, but it's what they did with it. Because just like anything being challenged, you either develop more grit and you get better for it, or you go down the rabbit hole. I think there's no neutral with that, but you could use a difficult situation. And after you've worked through it, part of working through it and using it to better you is finding acceptance and finding the lesson in it versus mm -hmm. being stuck on that shouldn't have happened. I regret that that happened. And now I'm just going to sit with that cloak on me and just wear the badge of high school suck. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm single because I high school sucked or, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to say. So it's, it's really interesting when you kind of start breaking it down like that. Well, it's so easy to play the victim song in life too, right? It's just to kind For of go sure. down that rabbit hole. And I mean, I think we're all guilty of self-pity at times, but there has to be a point where you're like, okay, enough is enough. And then really yeah. just taking a look at what is the lesson here? How did I grow from this and turning that painful experience into gold? Really? I absolutely agree with you. And sometimes the most annoying thing to hear when you're really in it is someone being like, well, you're going to have to get over this. And it's just, you know, so I think it's important to sit in the really just victim of it. Sometimes take a day, take a week. I agree. Have a pity a party. Have a pity party. And I think that's part of the process of getting to the point where eventually you do have to freaking pick up your bootstraps because if yeah. you don't, now you're creating your own negativity for yourself and, and now it's on you. But that's a really difficult thing to do. And I think that's where things come into play, like how strong your social network is and how supportive all the other anchors that you've developed go for your life. That's when that kind of stuff is going to kick in. Mm -hmm. And I do agree that you'd kind of need to sit in those hard emotions and feel that self-pity or victim or whatever, because mm -hmm. I think if you don't, you're not acknowledging and validating your experience. So I think it's mm -hmm. that fine balance of validating your experience and what you're going through, but then now how am I going to integrate this? Right. Right. It, it, it's feeling it for sure. Yeah. And I think that's what we spoke about a little bit before of just, there's so many things that we do to distract ourselves because we don't want to feel, and then that becomes a habit. And then that leads to so many other, yeah. you know, negative things happening. Yeah, but it was for easy sure. for me and Stephanie to reestablish ourselves because we have distance from our environments. Right. So some people might feel trapped, find it harder to distance themselves from childhood trauma or right. regrets that they have. 
You know, and I think that's a good point. Sometimes you literally do need to take a step back and remove yourself from the places or the people that are, that you're just noticing you, you can't get out of it without getting away from it. It just provides perspective and gives you the information of maybe what you need to do or what you need to stay away from. Yeah. When you're working through those hard things, I think, yeah, separation from your environment is so key. Cause then I feel like it can be re-triggering for some people. So taking right. that step back to just kind of give you some breathing room. Right. Right. And again, there's like a difference between avoiding something yeah. and not facing it versus sometimes it is true. You need a TO, you need a freaking time out yeah. in order to really see what's going on. For so sure. for anyone who struggles with that, what is the difference between avoidance and separating yourself from the environment? Avoidance is don't like that. Never want to be in that situation again and never going to put myself in that situation again versus don't like that. I'm going to step, I'm going to step outside of it for a hot minute so I can collect myself and figure out what's going on here. And then I'm going to face it and deal with it. So, you know, when our inner child is acting Mm -hmm. up or there's an event or a memory that kind of triggers us, how can we So this is a very practical question. How can we identify when we're being triggered? And also what are some practical ways that we can work through it? That's a great question. I think when the event and the reaction don't align, something's going on, Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of like a really big reaction over spilled milk. Mm -hmm. When you have a reaction that's just over the top and doesn't match the event, something else is going on. And in terms of how to deal with that, I think it's just starting to get aware of your own emotionality and noticing that alignment and being like, okay, someone really made me angry and this is how I reacted. Okay. Normal versus, whoa, you know what? The other night I like flipped out and Mm -hmm. in retrospect, that doesn't match what happened that night. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of your first key. It's a whole other process of learning what a specific person needs to do individually to calm themselves down. Generally speaking, doing things like if you notice you're super reactionary, really taking a moment and taking a step back, maybe you need to remove yourself from the situation a bit. I think really being aware of not having serious conversations when you're in the moment and in anger. Mm -hmm. And just making sure that you're taking a step back. So you're not talking or acting out of reaction because now you can cause so many other problems because you're going to say things you don't really mean. Um, I think breathing exercises, I think doing things like your self-care ahead of time, setting up your sleeping appropriately, eating well, exercising well, those are all things that are always going to play into your homeostasis just as a successful human. And it's, it's amazing how many people come to me and the root issue literally is that basic self-care, because if that's not a consistent, well-oiled machine, so many problems are going to come from that. For sure. I mean, that's the foundation of it. Like really sleep, proper nutrition. Right. And it sounds so basic. I feel, I feel like here, who doesn't know (laughs) ever, we all know this, but it's, it's unbelievable how many people don't do it. Or we just are like, no, it's fine. Like five hours of sleep. Totally cool. I'm good with that. Yeah. But you, yeah. Even me, like, I know I should meditate. Like I meditation, I'll, I 
two to three times a week is kind of my sweet spot. And then when I don't do that, I'm like, okay, something is up. I'm feeling yeah. a little out of sorts. I'm not centered. Mm-hmm. And then I just need to get back into my routine. Cause I know that even that 10 minute meditation makes all the difference for me. Right. But Stephanie, even that awareness, like you having that awareness, that is some people don't even know why they're feeling the way they're feeling. So it's just, it's so interesting, the spectrum. Yeah. It's a process, right? Mm-hmm. Especially Absolutely. not to force the conversation when you are in the heat of the moment, but that's so tempting. Yeah. It's so tempting I know, to be like, no, harsh. we're having this conversation right it now. Is. It is. And, and it is really tricky. And I think that's where prior to the, the heated event happening, it's, it's really being mindful of what you know you need to do, given how reactionary you are. Let's say you're in a partnership. It could be when you're not in a fight, talking about what can go down when it gets heated. Maybe your partner can be like, hey, you're at a level nine. <laughs> like maybe like, let's not talk about it now. So sometimes you can use people that are safe resources to help you. Or be in yeah. a partnership with someone who, when they, when you're coming at them all fiery, they don't match that. They just maybe give you a hug and yeah. try to temper the situation a little bit. Yeah. Whatever that particular partnership can figure out that works for them. But I think that's, that's the key. Like some people in the heat of the moment, when someone tried to give them a hug, they would get more mad. <laughs> you yeah. know, and some people would be exactly what they needed. So it's like, don't touch is, me. <laughs> exactly. So it just, it gets real individual, but that also too is how willing that person is to be self-aware and really do the work to figure out what they need. I would sure. consider myself self-aware, but I have to admit, I think I'm the only person here that doesn't meditate. Should I be meditating? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Let's go there because I think this is such a like meditate. And a lot of people yeah. get scared off because they think they need to be like the Buddha on the mountaintop for two oh hours. God. And yes, right? I love this conversation. And sometimes I just want to say maybe meditation is going in nature and taking a walk and just breathing. I think you have to find your own way of meditation that works for you because a lot of people don't start because it sounds too intimidating and scary. Yeah. Like Andrew, you, you love walking. That's meditation. Show. I think oh, okay. you know, I think you do walking meditation. There you go. And but I always thought meditation was you have to identify every time you have a thought, shut your mind off, mm-hmm. go completely dark. It's the opposite of that actually. It's actually allowing for all of whatever's coming up and just not judging whatever's coming up and just letting it pass. Like, oh, that thought came up and just let it actually play I feel out. To about meditation. <laughs> but that, well, I get it. Right. It, it, and, and to what you said, Stephanie, it's almost like sometimes it's just like clouds. Their clouds are going by. They're all your mm-hmm. thoughts. Then you don't have to, it's like not attaching to them, not reacting off the thought. And so for you, it's just however you could do it that works for you. Awesome. It's also a practice that as you keep playing around with it can get stronger and stronger and stronger. Definitely. So you're listening to The Regeneration Show. I'm Andrew St. Germain. And I'm Stephanie Katona. And our guest is licensed therapist Kim Eagle on the line with us from North County, San Diego, California. So Kim, we talked a lot in the opening about returning to our inner child, which is basically code for returning to a simpler time. Um, kids are very shameless and carefree and oblivious to income and age and time and skepticism and everything else that weighs us down as adults. So what can we as adults learn from observing children? So much, how to have fun, how to let go, how to surrender. I mean, so many things you can learn from kids. And I think one of the things being younger has going for you is everything tends to be really new. And I think when we're adults, We've just done it all before, but a way to keep on recreating that childlike self 
is to keep putting yourself in situations that aren't just Groundhog's Day. I think as adults, we get so into like how we want to work out and like what we like to eat and where we like to go and da, 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 da. And I think that that creates a lot of stagnation versus when you travel and everything's new, you almost feel like a kid again as an adult. And I think because it's like curiosity is, it opens up and you're doing different things and you're learning new things. And literally like you can, I know for me, I guess I can only speak for myself. I know that's when I really tap back into like, oh my God, just like the excitement of being a kid. But when it comes to kids, there is so much to learn from them. Kids tend to be really raw. That's why it's so often when there's an adult in the room that maybe has bad intention, a kid sniffs that out so quick, way quicker than any of the adults in the room. There's just a purity to kids that Mm -hmm. a lot of us could lose as adults if we don't do the work and if we get lost in all the things that you had mentioned. Well, going back to what you said about finding that joy, going back to that magical child that's basically curious and all that. Like, I mean, this is why I decided to take this whole year to go traveling essentially. And then I noticed such a shift, even just getting here in in LA, meeting new people, like doing things that are out of my normal routine. I also think you're forced to do new things and you tend to do all the things that you say that you should not to do when you're in your normal environment, when you're in a new one, Mm -hmm. because you're, you kind of have to like, (laughs) right. It's like, if you want to go to dinner, you're going to figure out a new place to go to dinner. Or if you want to find like people to hang out with, you're going to have to put yourself out there more than you would with the friends that are just at home. So I think that's another cool part of it. hundred percent. But some people are still detached from the opportunity to return to that childlike spirit Mm -hmm. when they travel, because they always wanted to look like they belong. Like they refuse to look around and be awe-inspired by the new environment. They just wanted to look like they lived in New York or lived in San Francisco. Yeah. So sort of that tunnel vision. Right. And, and I think though, you just nailed something is some people don't want to, you have to have the want. It's like what you did, Stephanie, you had yeah. the awareness to know that something was stagnant and you took the opportunity to go and do something different. Yeah. And I mean, I'm pretty extreme. <laughs> like it could have been like, okay, maybe I'll go travel for a month. No, I'm just going to pack up my whole life and just travel with no real plan. Whatever. Yeah. I love it. Good for you. And it's working for you. It's working for me. At first I was all anxious. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to like LA. And, but I feel like I just settled right in. It's good. The cool part is too, if you don't like LA, then you just go somewhere different. Exactly. I've never met anybody that's done something that you've done, like went on the trip that they always wanted to go to or packed up their bags. And I've never met anyone that's regretted something like that ever. Exactly. And you know, there's days when you're traveling alone too, to go through moments of anxiety. The other day I was like, what have I actually done? Like I had a moment moment of panic and then I was like, okay, no, this is normal. Just breathe through it. Yeah. And you, oh, go ahead, Andrew. But I I was just going to ask him, you say in your approach to therapy that in order to change habits that are not working, it's important to gain awareness around what we're telling ourselves. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what Mm -hmm. we're telling ourselves our thoughts, our actions, our belief systems are grandfathered in from childhood. So even that moment of regret of what am I doing? Is that a belief system that is trying to fight the inner child within Stephanie? Yeah. Oh, I love where we're going here. So, so (laughs) when you bring up that inner voice and, and if we link it back to that inner child, I think a lot of times our inner voice does come from the authority figures that were in our life, whether it be our parents or whether Mm -hmm. it just be someone that played a really significant role. I think a lot of times what we have to do as adults is we have to decipher whose voice it is. 
Yeah. Is that really our voice or is that our critical mother's voice Yeah, that's bagging on our decision to go travel? Is that the way so-and-so lived or is that, is this actually really true to you to throw everything in a bag and go? So yeah. I, I think it's really getting clear on who's talking up there. <laughs> I th- and I think also part of it's, to be honest, like what I've been feeling with my life path and my decisions and choices is a lot of it's social conditioning too. Like I'm 32 and I've built my business. It's all good. And then I'm just packing up my bags and going, I, it's not like I created stability in Toronto with a partner. And I was like, oh my God, I should be settled down by now. And it's all those thoughts coming up. It's not my right. voice. Cause I know that I'm cool with what I'm doing. Right. But it's what I hear from other people. Well, I love this. This is now another deep dive, right? Because it's convention and it's what yeah. you should not do based on where you're from and what everyone's doing around you that are your peers and really doing what's true for you versus just doing what you should not to do because it's where you're from and it's what everyone expects. Yeah. Or comparing yourself, that voice can be your critical mother, like you said, yeah. saying, when I was 32, I had three, three kids. babies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And that's really hard to go up against when you're kind of the black sheep and everyone around you has the 2.5 kids and your mother's saying that she did too. And, yeah. and, and you're sitting there going, God, it doesn't feel right to have that. But at the same time, I guess I should, because I know it's, it's scary to go on the road where no one else is going. Yeah. But and it's I mean- also the cool thing. And that's me. I still march to the beat of my own drum. I still do it regardless of what people think. Like I will do things that most people maybe might not do. I just don't let it hold me back, even though dinner and volleyball with your Uber driver. I can't (laughs) say I've ever done that. Oh my God. No, but people are so friendly here. People are so welcoming and friendly here. It's really nice and refreshing, you know? My guess is though that that's you, right? Because it's your energy that you're giving off and it's people responding to you. It's just like when you're a kid and you're in a new environment, your eyes are like, Whoa, oh my God. Right. Yeah. So like that energy, it, you're somewhere new and, and you're, you're, it's exciting. And I, I, even on an unconscious level, something different is going on when you're not in your norm. And yeah. it, it could be, you know, I just feel like we are energetic beings. And at the end of the day, it's all just an exchange of energy that you're having with people and people's responses to you absolutely have to do with what, what you're, what vibe you're giving off. Yeah. I think people are like, who's this excited little puppy from Canada? Let's go to dinner with her. (laughs) Let's take her to dinner. (laughs) I mean, keep on doing what you're doing. It sounds like it's working for you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. My parents tell a story that I used to, and whenever people do impressions of me as a kid, I always had like this really burly voice. And apparently I would go up to people and just say, I don't like you. And I like you. Right. Because and I would never do that now because of course right. it's, we consider that rude. But as a kid, I'm not concerned with how mm-hmm. it's being perceived. I'm just feeling a negative vibe from you, and I want to let you. I want to address it. it. Yeah. <laughs> what 100 percent? When I'm in a room and kids say certain things, they're kind of always right on the money, or they're pointing out things that quote unquote are rude and and what you shouldn't point out. But there's truth in it, and so I do. I feel like kids are such truth targets. And I think that's why a lot of times it's intimidating because, you know, if they don't, it's almost like dogs too, you know, like they pick up on energy. And if when a dog doesn't like you, it's almost kind of like, uh Oh, like what, what am I giving off? Yeah. (laughs) And it's also like kids should be the decision makers because they're just going to choose the right and wrong. They're not going to be bogged down by the political tensions or what are they going to think? Or how am I going to be viewed? kids are, are very innocent and pure in, in their intentions and their actions. 
Right. Even if you take something just like eating, because so many people eating becomes this thing of control. And when you really look at a really young kid prior to diet, body shape, all the things, kids genuinely eat when they're hungry and they don't eat when they're not hungry. And mm-hmm. all, all that wiring, if you just even take it to emotionality, like you mentioned, Andrew, it's just, well, then career, what do you want to be and how much money do you want to make? Like all these things start coming into play that the, mm-hmm. I guess that just our world kind of offers you and you start tweaking certain things about yourself and it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Going back to my first question to you about your childhood self, would you say that you're the same hyper soul that you were as a kid? I don't feel much different. The one thing I can just say from external feedback is when I do see people that haven't seen me in a while, the one thing that I get a lot is you're exactly the same. I've never been that adult in the room that's afraid to say the wacky, like I'm not, I don't, I haven't adulted (laughs) fully. Mm -hmm. I'm the first one to admit like- It's overrated anyway. Yeah. Like I, and, and I, I appreciate childlike adults. Like a lot of my friends still have that. Yeah. It's fun to do that. That's where we're going to go do it. I'm not going to sit. I, I like, I'd rather hang with the kids and do the fun thing than sit and just watch <laughs> the adults talk about how the kids are having fun. You don't have to take yourself so seriously. There's something very transactional in that. Cause me and Stephanie were talking in the opening about how we always got along with adults. We always mm-hmm. wanted to sit at the grown up table, but I never flipped it in my mind to think the grown ups at that table also wanted to be around that childlike spirit too. Yeah. So there's something very symbiotic Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. about that. Okay. That's a word. Um, (laughs) Well, one thing I know that you guys had said is just, you know, if you are looking to get in, tap more into that inner child of you, a lot of people don't even know how to do that. And I think a really cool thing to do is go back and you look at literally look at pictures of yourself when you're five or six or seven years old. And you just kind of get memories again of, Oh my gosh, look at that thing. I remember that little, you know, like stuffed animal. I used to always carry around in like kindergarten or let's say there's old stuff in the attic. If if there are people that are still around that can kind of share with you when they knew you younger, asking questions to reliable sources that you trust. I, I think that's a really cool way to bring you back into you know, you asked me how I was a child. I would love you to ask my mom that, right? Or mm-hmm. my dad that, or people that knew me in elementary school. That sometimes is so interesting to get that feedback. So I think starting those conversations and starting to tap back into those things or pictures or just a recipe, activities. maybe smells, all of it, mm-hmm. apps, all of it smells. Oh my gosh, shampoo from like when I was in, I remember the shampoo I used to wear, you know, just all Oh my that God. Stuff. L'Oreal 100%. kids. L'Oreal that finesse. That, that's, <laughs> oh my God. I freaking yes. love that shampoo. Yes. Songs. I mean, all the things. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for everything. Our first show is better for having you. And awesome. uh, sure. yeah, thank, thank you. you. And you can find more about our guest, her blog, and her Truth Talk series, and even shop her line of jewelry at kimeagle.com. Cover art for The Regeneration Show is by Antonella Giordano. Photography by Alexandria Jar. Featuring narration by Andrea Roos. Thanks again. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys reaching out. That was fun. Yeah, it was thank awesome. You. Thank yeah. you. Join Andrew and Stephanie for the next Regeneration Show and pass it on. TheRegenerationShow.com. dot